Are you glad you're here today? Isn't it a beautiful day? I mean, yesterday, today, just amazing stuff. You're enjoying almost summertime. Then it's going to snow this week, right? That's probably what's going to happen. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. We have been, we had an incredible uh, Easter weekend last week with well over 4,000 people attending. Just a, a great, great day. And uh, since we've been in John, which since the very first of the year, we've been nothing but John all year uh, this year. And we've seen 100 people uh, come to Christ. And so that's, that's great too. So we're celebrating that. And also, if you didn't know, today we're celebrating baptism. We just have a ton of people coming, which is so exciting. Each person coming to say, hey, I've placed my trust in Christ alone for my salvation, and I want other people to know about it. That's the whole point. So exciting stuff. If you haven't been here, uh, let me catch up. Well, first of all, if you're one of those people getting baptized today, now is probably a good time for you to, to stand up and head out. I'm not going to preach as long as I, I normally preach, so you can get up and go out that way. It'd probably be the closest way. That would be great. Um, we are so excited about the decisions people have made and then following through in a public way to stand up and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. So we're, we're celebrating that all, all morning, and uh, it, it's been great. I know over 50 people have been baptized uh, throughout our campuses, I think last service here. Uh, we baptized maybe 37 or so people, and we're going to have that many this time, too. It's just amazing. The, probably the most we've ever baptized in one day uh, inside this room uh, that's ever happened. So that's great, right? That's reason to celebrate. All right. Well, if you haven't been here, we've actually been through, we're going through the book of John, as I said, this whole time where we're doing John verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and now we're to the last chapter, and we will finish up next week. We're going to do the first half of the last chapter today, and that is John chapter 21. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, you can turn there or grab a Bible on the chair rack in front of you if you would like. John is about, you know, two-thirds through uh, in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you see Acts, you've gone one too far so that's John. And I, while you're doing that, I'll just catch you up on what we've learned so far in a nutshell, or at least recently. So John, who writes this in the first century, is an eyewitness to everything that Jesus did in his ministry. He was with Jesus his full three, three and a half years of ministry. He was there at the very beginning. And now he, he is also, when he writes this, or later when he writes Revelation, he's the last surviving disciple. But we have all, the, all Gospels contain first century eyewitness accounts. And this is John giving us his account of what happened. We can read it firsthand. And so he was with Jesus for three years. And as his popularity grew, Jesus's, uh, it all came down to a final week when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And his disciples actually witnessed him. This is their rabbi, their teacher, he was put to death, tortured to death on the cross as a criminal. And so they went through all that. And then three days later, they were witnesses to Jesus's resurrection when he appeared to them on Sunday morning. That's what we celebrated last Sunday. And then eight days later, although the way Jewish people do it, it's eight days inclusive. So the next Sunday... Jesus appeared to the disciples again, only this time 
Thomas was with them because he wasn't there the first time, and Jesus makes another appearance. Now, between the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, which Jesus said was going to happen, there's 40 days. And so he appeared, and then a week later, he appeared again. And now this is about two or three weeks since the resurrection, since they last saw Jesus. And then it's a couple of weeks before what happens in the book of Acts, which is just a history of the church. And so that's where we're at. That'll put it in context. Before, when Jesus saw them, the disciples were instructed to meet Jesus in Galilee. All right, so now they haven't seen Jesus in a couple of weeks. They've been instructed to meet him in Galilee. That's where we're picking it up in John chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. And now we're going to hear the story. Starts this way. They're going to hear the recorded history from an eyewitness on how this happened. Verse 2. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. So here's what's happening. He told them to meet. And they're supposed to meet in Galilee, so we expect that all 11 of the disciples would be there. But here in this one spot in Galilee, there's seven of them gathered together. And that's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee is James and John, and then two others that John is not listing by name. And so they're following the the advice, the instructions that they were given. They're waiting together, but these seven are in the same spot. And remember, they've just witnessed the resurrection. When we hear about the resurrection, I think we've kind of heard about it all our lives, so it's not a lot to get our minds around. That's not the way it's from. This had never happened, and so they're just processing all this. And the tomb is empty. They know Jesus was resurrected. They saw him in a fleshly body. And while they're there waiting for Jesus, they they know a couple things. Since the tomb is empty, number one, they recognize that they have this common bond. They recognize that they've been through these three years of ministry. Jesus has trained them for ministry. He continues to train them after his resurrection. We're going to see a little bit of that here. And so they have this common bond, this unity, just like Jesus prayed for in John 17 that we went over. So, and, and that's kind of amazing because these guys are all different. They come from all walks of life. Three of them, at least, were fishermen. But then, like Nathaniel, totally not a fisherman. He's from Cana, which is, you know, up in the Galilee region, but nowhere near uh, the Sea of Galilee. And then we have people like, uh, you know, Matthew, who was a tax collector, considered a traitor, not liked by anybody, squeezing people for taxes so he could give it to Rome, who's occupying their country. Then we have another guy, there's two Simon, Simon Peter, but there's another Simon named Simon the Zealot. He's the opposite. Simon the Zealot, is he's working to overthrow Rome in any way possible. He's an insurrectionist. He's, he's a guy that would take anybody out to make this happen. These guys are at the polar opposite extremes politically. They're both 
disciples of Jesus. And it's not just their occupations or what they're known for. They're also just wired up differently on the inside. For example, Nathaniel, he first sees Jesus. He believes. Jesus says a few words to him, and he's kind of convinced. Thomas, after all his, the guys, the other disciples that were with him for three years, night and day, they're saying, we saw him in the flesh, and he's like, I don't buy it. Not until I see him and touch the nail holes in his hand and put my hand into the, the wound in his side will I believe. You have, for, and another way they're different, you have John, who always, the, the writer of this book, who never names, names himself, calls himself the beloved disciple or whatever, John, he's got all this insight. He, he, can, he knows he's got discernment and insight. He figures things out quick. Peter, not like that at all, but Peter's always the first one to act. So they're all different. They hear Jesus has given them unity. They have this common bond that they've been through all this stuff with Jesus together. And that's important. That's the way Jesus intends for us to be as believers. And I can just relate this to my, myself in this way. When I was a teenager, uh, after I became a believer, I attended a church called, my home church called Park Hill Baptist in Pueblo, Colorado. And while I was there, and I remember attending there as a teenager, and maybe this is true of some of you, I felt a little bit like an outlaw. Like, you know, I'm just kind of not as good and nice as these people. But I also know this is where God wanted me to be. And I remember feeling this common bond with these people. They were nothing like me, but it was like, no, we're here together. We all follow Jesus. We're gathered here to learn about Jesus, learn about his word so we can grow closer to Jesus and encourage each other. And there were a couple, you know, one man in particular who sort of um, let me know that he knew me and cared about me. And, you know, I just had these new friends. It was, it was cool. I remember thinking, I would do anything for these people, even though I don't know all these people. So, you know, it's a church of three or 400 people. And, and I think that's what God intends for all of us. That's why God, by the way, founded the church. The church is really not optional. The church is God's intention for us to come together, learn about God through studying his word and encouraging each other and applying that and doing this walk together. That's what these guys had. And so that's the way it should be today. Verse three. So they're all hanging out. There's seven of them here. There's some other ones. They're probably in Galilee too, just in another spot. And they're, they're there, seven of them. And then Simon Peter says to them, it's been a couple weeks. He says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. And so it's interesting the way they word this because... So, Peter goes, yeah, I'm going to go fishing. Well, Peter's a fisherman, so he knows how to do that. But the other ones that are there, two of them were fishermen, but the other ones weren't. And they, all, they, they don't say, hey, we'll go fishing too. They say, we'll come with you while you're fishing, because they don't know how to fish probably. So they go out, especially in a boat like we're talking about. So they just go out. They, they, some of them probably never fished before. It wasn't the fishing that held them together. It was their common bond as disciples, followers of Jesus. And, and here's another interesting thing, if you want a side note here. At least three of the disciples were fishermen. 
It's kind of humorous that as you read the entire New Testament, not one of the fishermen who were disciples ever caught a fish without Jesus' help in this whole three years, you know, that they were with Jesus. It's kind of a weird thing, but uh, you can mull that over. But they've gone through this trauma seeing Jesus crucified, and they intended that they would do life together. And that's what we're doing right here. So we talked last Sunday about the empty tomb, and it has ramifications. If the tomb is empty, then, then we get it, that we realize that we have a common bond if we're a believer. If the tomb is empty because of the resurrection, then the disciples, they realize that Jesus gave them a new way to God. And this is what they're processing, because this is different than Judaism, although Judaism pointed to this moment. So as, as, they, as they're figuring all this, we can kind of see this illustrated a little bit. So they're out fishing. They fish at night. And now it's early dawn. And if you've been on the lake, you know how a lot of times the fog sort of lifts and it's got that haziness. And about 100 yards away is a guy on the shore. And in the mist, he calls out to these seven guys in the boat. And here's how it goes, verse four. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? This is a question that implies a negative answer. You don't have any, right? Right. You know, and what's interesting about this is the word children. Some translations translate this friends, which is a very unusual way. It's kind of an unusual word. And to use it as friends is extremely unusual. Literally, this is children. And so we don't know how this is meant. It could be like, hey, boys. You know, that's kind of like saying children. Or if you were, you know, in Ireland, hey, lads. You know, something like that. But it also could be that Jesus is messing with them a little bit. Hey, kids, you didn't get anything, did you? You know, and then we don't know how they answered because they answered no. We don't know if that's no like this, no, or no. You know, why you, who, who are you? You know, whatever. You, you think you could do better? They don't know. So anyway, he kind of asked them this. They answered him, no, verse six says. And then he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they cast and went, then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped down for work, and he threw himself into the sea. So they're out fishing. Simon seems to be doing most of the work, which would be typical, and so Simon's stripped down for work. You know, we don't, he's probably just wearing underclothes or whatever. And, and then it's not appropriate for you to have a meeting with somebody dressed like that. So he's got his outer garments. He might have just tied them to his waist. Same word is used here when Jesus tied a towel. You know, and then he throws in. It's the opposite that we would do. You know, you put on clothes to go into the water. But he's doing that. So when he comes out, he has something to put on. And so he just flings himself into the water to get there. Now, if you're reading this, and if you've read other first century accounts of Jesus's ministry, 
you start noticing something. If you've read the eyewitness account of Matthew and then Mark and Luke, then the eyewitnesses accounts there, then all of a sudden you're realizing, hold it now, hold it. Something like this has happened before. And that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 5. And what happened then is three years earlier, when these guys first became disciples, when they didn't hardly know who Jesus was, way back then, Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. And after he did, he healed some people and he became real popular and the crowds were just crushing in. One day he was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. And as they're there, the crowds kept pressing in. And then Jesus noticed that there were a couple of boats, fishing boats that were pulled up on the sand next to him. And so one of those happened to belong to Peter and Peter and the other guys that own the boat, they're nearby and they're cleaning all the, the weeds and stuff out of their nets. And the crowd is pushing in on Jesus. Jesus sees one of the boats and tells the owner of the boat, Peter, hey, come here and row out a little bit so I can teach. So Peter, he gets in the boat probably with somebody else to help him and, and they just row out just a little ways from the shore, just to have a little separation so Jesus can teach the people. So after Jesus taught the people, and I'm thinking that was at least a couple of hours. All right, so just remember that when I'm preaching up here. You know, at least a, a couple of hours, he probably preached to them. Maybe five hours, we don't know. But when he was done, I, I won't do that. But when he's done, he then tells Peter. He finishes up, everybody's hungry. They, they kind of disperse to go get something to eat. He doesn't feed them this time. And then Jesus turns to Peter, he's in the boat and says, hey, why don't you row out a little bit and we'll do some fishing. And Peter's like, same thing. I've already been fishing all night long. You know, and there's nothing out there, is what he said, Jesus. You know, I've already been fishing. We caught nothing. This is not the best time for this. But, he, but you know, he's a rabbi. By the way, Peter knows, he knows a little bit about Jesus. He knows that he's a, he's a construction worker, a, a carpenter or a stonemason, probably a carpenter, you know, who's now turned rabbi here in the last several weeks. You know, and he's probably thinking, hell great, you know, now... I've already been fishing all night. I just got my nets clean for the next night. But he, here a rabbi, wants me to go out here and cast my nets. I got, a, I got a carpenter turned rabbi telling me how to fish. Great, but I'll do it. And so he does it. He goes out. Remember the story? He throws his net out. The net is so big he can't pull it up. He signals to his partners who have the other boat that are still at their nets. And he tells them, come on over here, they hurry out there, they start putting all the fish in the boat, there's so many fish that they fill up both boats and as they keep putting fish in, both boats begin to sink. And Peter, when he sees this happening, throws himself down at Jesus' feet and he says, you remember what he said? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter gets, hey, this guy is from God at the very minimum. This guy's doing supernatural. This does not happen. He just throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And here's what's interesting about it. 
If, if one of your friends came to you and said, hey man, I really messed up. You know, I should have done this. I ended up doing that. I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I did it. Oh, what a mess. I, I just really messed up. I'm terrible. What do we say? We usually say something like, hey, you know, it's probably not that bad. You know, you'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way. It's probably not as bad as you think. Who's with me here? Or are you guys just heartless? Do you try to make them feel better? Who, who tries to make them feel better? Who just lowers the bomb, you know, the truth teller? Yeah, well, the weird thing is, that's normal in our culture that we, oh, you know, oh, you're terrible. Oh, you're not that terrible. I've seen worse. You know, that's what, yeah, I've seen worse. Well, may, that probably happened in their culture. And so maybe Peter has thrown himself down at Jesus' feet. I'm terrible. I, I'm disgusting. Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. And, and I don't know if Peter's thinking that maybe Jesus is going to say, well, you know, I've seen worse. But if he is waiting for that, he's waiting and waiting. And there's nothing. I mean, Jesus does not say that. What does Jesus end up saying? He says, fear not. Why fear not? Well, I don't know. Peter doesn't know. He's in the presence of God. Jesus says, fear not. From now on, you will fish for men. This is Jesus calling Peter. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And so now all that's happened at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. So when this is happening now, Peter's like, oh yeah, this is all Familiar. This is kind of what's going on. And let's face it, before Peter met Jesus, he probably, because he was a practicing Jew, he probably thought he was a pretty good guy. He followed the rules pretty much. You know, he was working, he was, you know, following Jesus, you know, later, but he saw that at least. And, and here's the problem. We all tend to think we're pretty good people. I don't know if you realize this, but psychologists over and over have done studies and they'll study criminals, criminals who have murdered people, raped people, just, you know, left destruction in their wake. And when they interview them, they'll ask them a question. And the question is, so you told me your story, you've admitted to all this stuff. Do you think you're a good person? And all of them pretty much will say, Almost all of them will say, well, you know, I know I've done this, but actually I think I'm a pretty good person. As a matter of fact, there's a, a one PhD scholar wrote, The Criminal Mind. You know, he, when, he did a study, and every criminal that he talked to who admitted to all these horrific acts at the end said, but basically I think I'm a pretty good person no matter how long the trail of carnage, no matter how many victims, no matter how many people suffered because of their actions, I think I'm a pretty good person. And if that's true, then it's no wonder than crowds like us, we tend to think we're pretty good people until we meet Jesus. And Jesus tells us, or until we read God's word, you know, the crazy thing is, that's exactly what we do. We think we're okay. And the reason we do that is we sort of define morality for ourselves. 
yeah, I killed those people, but, you know, they were bad people, or they did something to me. You know, that's why. Or I needed money. You know, whatever. There's a reason. I'm not that bad of a person. That's the way we all tend to think. But God's telling us that we can't go by our own standard. God has a, a standard of right and wrong that's for everybody. It's the same. It's objective. And if you ever look at that standard, it's kind of rough. And it'll, it'll show you. Like the Ten Commandments. We violate those. You know, We've all violated more than half of the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you. And so when Peter encountered Jesus, he said, get away from me. But now it's three years later. And now he realizes it's Jesus again. And now instead of get away from me, and he's now even more convinced that Jesus is God, if he probably wasn't at all the first time, now he flings himself, he can't wait for the boat to be rowed to shore as it's pulling all these fish. He throws himself in the water, swims to shore, can't wait to be with Jesus. What changed? Well, Peter came to realize how sinful he was but he also came to realize how much Jesus loved him. He's not a good person, but Jesus loved him anyway. And he made a way for us, Jesus made a way for us to be right with him. And so when it comes to our sin, Jesus never downplays it. If you don't understand how bad you are, because we all think we're pretty good, you cannot become a Christian. If you think you just missed the mark a little bit and you're doing good things to balance that out, no good thing you do can erase one bad thing that you've ever done. Good is what we're supposed to do. So it doesn't fix bad. The bad clings to us. And the whole Old Testament was teaching us, hey, when you violate God's standard and we all do it, then God gave us a system, sacrificial system, where they would find an innocent, perfect lamb and they would kill it. And that was to remind the people how serious their sin was, that they deserved death, and more than that, separation from God. But then Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice. You see, we needed someone who didn't have any sin that could pay for our sin. But then, more than that, we needed one person to do it for everybody. That would have to be an infinite person. So what we have in Jesus is infinite God who is sinless, who chose to die to pay all of our sin penalty. But the only way that gets counted for you is when you put all your trust in Jesus, all your faith. And faith, probably to us today, means trust, that you're relying on Jesus and Jesus alone. So that means that you can't be a Christian by saying, yeah, Jesus died for me, plus I read my Bible and I go to Grace Community Church and I do this and I do that and I mowed my neighbor's lawn yesterday and, I, and I'm a pretty good and I pay my tax, you know, whatever. Only one thing can save us, putting our trust in Christ and Christ alone and what he did on the cross, that's the only thing that can make us right. With God. And when I say save us, save us from what? Save us from the just, correct, right penalty that we all should pay for our sin, which is separation from God forever in a place called hell, which Jesus talked about. So that's, we're, 
We are not made right from God by minimizing our sin or working it off. It's a gift, but it only is received through faith. So they recognize a common bond. They, they realized, as, as these guys realized, hey, they have a new way of connecting with God. It's all through faith in Jesus. No more sacrifices. No more this, no more that. No more trying to, that you're just on this treadmill wondering if you've been good enough. It's all Jesus. Now, if you become a believer, you will do better things because God will change you from the inside out. But that's not, the change is not what saves you. It's your faith. So they recognized the common bond, realized God gave them a new right to be with God, and then last, because the, the tomb was empty, at this point, they're, real, they're reassured that Jesus was with them. Verse eight. But the other disciples came in the little boat. So here they come after Peter. For they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, hey, bring some of the fish which you've caught now, uh, which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. All there were, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. So get the picture, Simon Peter swims. These guys are coming, but they're dragging this big net of fish. Uh, it's behind them in the water. They finally get to the shore. They see Jesus. Jesus already has a fire going, already has fish and bread on the charcoal fire. And they're there. And then Jesus is like, well, go ahead and bring the fish on up. You know, we'll use yours too. And so Simon, you know, steps back into the shore, into the water and grabs the net and hauls it up. And then, you know, but here's what we sometimes miss. In our day, when we have a meal with somebody, you know, if we invite somebody to eat with us, that's like a kind gesture, a kind of a, a gesture of friendship. Hey, well, come and eat with me. It's a nice thing to do. In the New Testament, in the first century, inviting somebody to eat with you carried more weight than that. That was a bigger statement of like, hey, I want to get to know you better. I want us to have a friendship. I want us to be connected in, in kind of relationship. So it just carried more weight. That's what Jesus is doing as he's inviting. This is the, the third time they've seen him, and he's inviting them in to have brec breakfast with him. And, and th th there was a little more significance to that in the first century. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So again, John's pointing out eyewitness. Hey, this is the third time we saw him. And so when he's doing that, it's like, why is Jesus continuing to show up and talk to the disciples. Well, he's doing that because it's just harder for them to believe this happened. That's why Thomas is like, I gotta touch him. You know, it's harder for them. So here they are, they're sitting around, they know it's Jesus, but they're still processing this whole resurrection thing. I mean, they feel like asking him, is it really you? But they don't ask him because they know it's him. He's sitting right there with them and he's eating and he's there in flesh and blood. So it makes no sense to ask, ask the question. So they don't, but they just have this desire. 
because it's so good, it's so amazing. They're still figuring it all out. How can this be? Is it really you? And it is, and they know it, so they don't ask. This is what's happening there. Because they just saw him publicly tortured to death as a criminal. And they're still just trying to, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen, still processing for their emotions and everything else to catch up with them. And Jesus reassures them with his presence a third time. And he invites us into his presence too. So what's going to happen now is we're going to have the, the music team come out. And they're going to, to lead us in a song. And we have a bunch of people to get baptized. But here's what I want you to be thinking about. You know, everyone that's getting baptized today, what they're saying is they're saying, I've come to a place in my life where I've understood that I'm a sinner, and I've come to the understanding that Jesus loves me anyway, and he died to save me from the right penalty of my sin. And I, that only happens not just by what Jesus did, but he calls us to put our faith or our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. And once we do that, Jesus tells us that we should be baptized. Even Jesus got baptized. That we would go underwater in baptism. And that's what the word means, baptize, plunge underwater. That we have ourselves dunked underwater as a way of saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. He died. He was resurrected. I've put all of my trust in him. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so... That's what's happening. Now, a lot of times you've been told to be quiet in church, right? How many, how many have heard that, hey, you're supposed to be quiet in church? This is not one of those days. All right, today we're celebrating. Aubrey's going to lead, lead us in a song. And this is them, their public testimony, publicly saying, I'm trusting in Christ. So we're going to celebrate together. We're going to sing together. And then when people are getting baptized, we are rejoicing for every single person who has made this decision to make their faith public because they've already become a believer. Does that make sense? All right, let's get our celebration on.